Section 2 of The Catholic's Ready Answer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Catholic's Ready Answer by Rev. M. P. Hill. Section 2. Apes and Men. The Ape Theory. Man bears so striking a resemblance to the ape that we are forced to conclude that he is descended from the ape. The Answer In the first place, why argue from resemblance to descent? Or, if you argue at all, why not conclude that the ape is a degenerate man? Both arguments would be unsound, but the one would be as good as the other. What interest can you have in thus degrading man by bringing him down to the level of the ape? Better argue thus. So striking is the contrast between man and ape that man could not possibly have been evolved from the ape. The contrast consists chiefly in this, that man has a soul endowed with reason and free will, which the ape has not. This is abundantly proved by the fact that man, by means of thought and reflection, advances from one invention of or discovery to another. Whilst the ape, in common with other brute animals, follows his instincts and behaves today precisely as his ancestors did thousands of years ago, he has not learned to build houses, to cook his food, or to do anything characteristic of man in the most rudimentary degree of civilization. The ape's power of mimery is a superficial attribute which furnishes no proof or reason or thought. Even in bodily structure, the contrast is so obvious, at least to the anatomist, that no basis for the evolutionary theory can be found in that quarter. This is especially evident in the size of the brain, as also in the way in which the skull is joined to the spinal column a circumstance that determines whether the animal is to have the erect posture of a man or the stooping posture of a beast. The testimony of comparative anatomy, says Bemuller, is decidedly against the theory of man's descent from the ape. Man or Ape, page 59. Moreover, if such descent were a fact, we should find some intermediate forms between the mere ape and the fully developed man. We should have found long before today what is popularly known as the missing link. But the missing link has nowhere been discovered, either in fossil remains or in the living forms of animal life. The earth has been ransacked, but not a trace has come to light of the much sought for ape man. Occasionally, supposed discoveries have created a flutter in the scientific world, but they have invariably proved to be mares' nests. And yet, if Darwin's theory of infinitesimal variations covering enormous periods of time were correct, numerous specimens of intermediate forms should have been discovered. The distinguished scientist Virchow, who certainly cannot be accused of undue bias in the matter, bears the following testimony to the actual state of science on the subject. If we make a study of the fossil man of the quaternary period, who came nearest our historical ancestors in the course of descent, or better, of ascent, we find at every turn that he is a man like ourselves. Ten years ago, when a skull was found in a peat bog, 
among lake dwellings, or in some ancient cave, it was thought to furnish indications of a wild and half-developed state of human existence. Men thought they scented the atmosphere of apedom. But since then, a gradual change has been wrought in our estimate of such remains. The old troglodytes, lake dwellers, and peat men have turned out to be a very respectable set of human beings. Their heads are of such a size that many a living man today would feel proud if he had one as large. We must candidly acknowledge that we possess no fossil types of imperfectly developed men. Nay, if we bring together all human fossils of which we have any knowledge and compare them with human beings of the present day, we can assert without any hesitation that among living men there is, proportionately, a much larger number of individuals of an inferior type than among the fossil remains thus far discovered. Whether the greatest geniuses of the quaternary age have been lucky enough to have been preserved to our day, I dare not conjecture. But I must say that no skull of ape or ape-man which could have had a human possessor, or, as we take him to mean, could have been in any half-sense human, has ever yet been found. We cannot teach, nor can we regard as one of the results of scientific research the doctrine that man is descended from the ape or from any other animal. The Liberty of Science, page 30F. In the Congress of Anthropologists held in Vienna in 1889, he adds the following to the words just quoted. We have sought in vain the missing links that are supposed to connect man with the ape. The primeval man, the genuine proanthropos, has not yet been found. Anthropologists cannot regard the proanthropos as a legitimate subject for discussion. They may see him in their dreams, but in their waking moments they must acknowledge him to be nowhere in sight. At Innsbruck, in 1869, scientists in their fever heat of discussion believed they could trace the evolution of the ape into the man. Today, we are unable to trace the derivation of one race of men from another. At the present hour, we can say that the fossil men discovered stands as far removed from the ape as ourselves. Each living race is distinctively human, and no race has yet been discovered which can be designated as apish or half-apish. It can be clearly shown that in the course of 5,000 years, no appreciable change of type has taken place. Dr. Bemuller sums up the results of his study of the question in the following statements, every one of which rests upon solid demonstration. On no recognized principle of classification can man be associated with the ape, for to say nothing of his gifts of understanding and speech, he stands quite alone by reason of the vastly superior development of the brain portion of his nervous system, and hence can lay claim to an independent position in the animal kingdom. Neither is his descent from the ape attested by science, for as yet no connecting link has been discovered, either in the higher walks of apedom or in the lower walks of humanity. Even the possibility of a connecting link is disproved by the tendency of apes and half-apes, in the course of their higher development in anatomical structure, to diverge more and more from the human type and by the testimony of paleontology, the science of dealing with remains of extinct species of animals preserved in the earth. Such is the present state of scientific investigation, and its results are in harmony 
with the view which the human understanding, lay and professional, has ever entertained when not under the tyranny of theories that happens to be the fashion of the hour. Man or Ape, page 91, Munich, 1900. Dr. Zittel, an acknowledged leader in this branch of science, enumerates in his Outlines of Paleontology the most important discoveries made of human remains and makes the following comment. Such material as this throws no light upon the question of race and descent. All the human bones of determinable age that have come down to us from the European diluvium, as well as the skulls discovered in caves, are identified by their size, shape, and capacity as belonging to the Homo sapiens, man, and are fine specimens of their kind. They do not by any means fill up the gap between man and the ape. Dr. Ronk, another eminent paleontologist, speaks with evident sarcasm and in reference to certain scientific pretensions of the famous, or perhaps better, the notorious, relics discovered in the Neanderthal. Science, after its many wanderings, is coming back to what Holy Writ has told us in words few and simple. And the Lord God formed man of the slime of the earth, and breathed into his face the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Genesis 2.7 And God created man to his own image. Genesis 1.27 End of section two. Recording by Alex Durbin.